your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 32, please. Genesis chapter 32. While you're finding that, I wanted to share with you something that J. Vernon McGee once told. He told a story about little Willie. It seems that Willie got in trouble with his mama, and his mama made him sit in the corner of his room. And after a while, she was there, and she heard a noise in the room, and she called out, Willie, are you sitting down? And here's what Willie said. He said, yes, I'm sitting down, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> you ever done that? <laughs> you're sitting down on the outside, but on the inside you're standing up. Outwardly you submit, but inwardly you are as stubborn as ever, struggling to submit, uh, to surrender, to wave the white flag in a situation. You know, when we live like that, when it comes to human authority, that's pretty bad. But when we do that, when it comes to the ultimate authority, Almighty God, how bad, beloved, is that? When we in our stubborn, sinful, self-sufficiency resist Almighty God, when we allow self to rule in our hearts rather than allowing our Savior. And when we do that, when we are resisting Him, sometimes God has to take drastic measures to get our attention and uh, to get us to submit to his will. And that's what's happening in today's account from Jacob's life. You remember that Jacob's life, we're studying the life of Jacob, uh, his life has been filled with struggle. Uh, he struggled with his brother Esau, uh, his twin brother. He struggled with his father-in-law, Laban. And today we're going to see him struggling with God. Now, if you remember where we are in his story, he just left his father-in-law, Laban, uh, he's been there uh, 20 years. It's been a hard 20 years. Um, it's been a rough time. And he's about to face his brother Esau. And he last saw his brother Esau 20 years ago. And when he saw him, Esau was so angry, he wanted to kill him. And he wasn't real sure about how Esau was going to be because he just received word that Esau was coming towards him with 400 men. And so you have him leaving Laban, and now he's facing Esau, uh, he prayed and asked God's deliverance from Esau, but he's been busy uh, plotting and trying to figure all this out, trying to save his skin, trying to figure out what to do. He's prepared a gift. He's going to try to appease Esau in some way. And Jacob here is going to learn a valuable lesson. He's going to learn that his biggest problem is not Esau. No, not at all. He's going to learn that uh, his biggest problem was with himself. Jacob's biggest problem was with Jacob himself. He was his own biggest problem. Jacob's trouble was with himself. Theodore Epps said there was self-will, there was self-purpose, there was self-defense, self-desire, and self-righteousness. And Jacob's going to have to deal with all this self. You know what I found? I found, beloved, in my life that I've had more problems with me than anybody else. I've had more problems with me, myself, than I've ever had with anybody else. You ever had that? You ever come to that in your own life? You think about troubles you've had, and if you're like me, you realize the real problem that I deal with is me. Well, it's the problem in Jacob's life, too. And so I want you to see what God did here. You're in Genesis 32, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 22. Genesis 32, verse 22. The Bible says, And he arose that night and took his two wives his two female servants and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. 
He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent them over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. Then Jacob was left alone. Now, what's going on in Jacob's mind and heart at this point? Think about it for a moment. He's afraid. He's fearful. He's about to face his brother who's coming toward him with 400 men. He's already sent over all of his stuff and, and all of his family and all this. And he's there left alone, but he's not really alone. In fact, when you think about God's omnipresence, we're never really alone. Uh, but he has no other human companion there. And here he is with all this fear welling up inside him, this uncertainty that he's facing. And then all of a sudden, blam! A man sees him and begins to wrestle with him. Now picture that. It's dark. You're out there all alone. Your heart is filled with fear. You don't know what's going to happen in the morning. And then all of a sudden, someone comes up and seizes you and begins to wrestle with you. And as we continue reading here, I want to share three words. Three words is our focus today. And the first word is that word wrestling. That word wrestling. Now look back at verse 24 again. It says, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Let me go ahead and warn you before we go any further. This passage that we're studying today is a very difficult passage. It's one that you have to grapple with. And in all honesty, we're probably going to leave here today with more questions than answers. And a lot of questions are going to surface in your mind about what's going to happen in this passage. But that's okay, because the main lesson is clear. The main lesson is clear. Now imagine Jacob's surprise and Jacob's horror when he's gripped by this unexpected, this unannounced, and this unusual assailant. Who was this person that just grabbed him and began to wrestle with him? Was it a hitman from Esau? Was it a robber? Uh, was it uh, someone who was seeking to do him harm? Who was this man that wrestled with Jacob? Well, I'd like to submit to you today, beloved, that I believe it was none other than the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some scholars believe it was just an angel. But I believe it was the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in verse 30, he's going to say later on, I have seen God face to face. And we find other times in Scripture where Jesus made an appearance before his incarnation, before the baby in Bethlehem, he appeared in the Old Testament. Now, whatever your view, we're not going to argue about it, whether it was just an angel of God or it was the Lord Jesus Christ. Regardless, it was one who represented God. He was wrestling with God. And notice that it says here, beloved, in verse 24, that he wrestled until the breaking of the day. Now, I don't know how many wrestlers we have here. Uh, I know there's two types of wrestling. There's the wrestling that we grew up watching. Um, you can't watch it anymore. It's become very filthy and very dirty. But, I mean, I, we grew up watching the Boogie Woogie Man. And I've actually been to wrestling matches. But, anyway, don't picture that type of wrestling, okay? Picture, if you will, high school wrestling or college wrestling, real wrestling, where you have two opponents facing off and struggling against one another. Now, I've never done that, per se, um, but imagine doing that all night. Wrestling and sweating and struggling all night. Jacob refuses to give in. He's wrestling for his life. He doesn't know. 
what's going on. He doesn't know who it is that he's wrestling here. Now, you know, God could have crushed Jacob in a nanosecond. I mean, we're talking about the Lord who spoke the world into existence. He could have crushed Jacob in a nanosecond, but instead he lets him wrestle on all night. Now, look at verse 25. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, Imagine this, they're wrestling all the night. And finally, the angel of God, the Lord Jesus, he touches Jacob's hip there. It goes out of joint. Imagine the horror and imagine the pain that went through. Now, why did he do this? Why did God do this? Why did God touch his hip? Why did God injure him in this way? Well, beloved, because he wanted Jacob to be really broken. To be really broken. God didn't want a little willy there who was sitting on the outside, but standing on the inside. He wanted a man who was truly broken. Now, I want you to understand something today. God was not trying to hurt Jacob. He was trying to bless him. God was not trying to hurt Jacob. He was trying to bless him. I love what Donald Gray Barnhouse said about this. He said, God's love is so persistent that he will even cripple a man to get to his heart. Did you hear that? God's love is so persistent. His love is so powerful. He will even cripple a man to get to that man's heart. And God did not want Jacob depending upon himself. God was bringing Jacob to an end of himself so that his dependence was upon God Almighty alone. Now, this was a real wrestling match. Some would say, well, this is a dream. Uh, this is some kind of vision. He saw no, it was a real wrestling match. There was sweat and there was grime and there was groans and there was dust. And all this is going on. And beloved, it pictures for us a spiritual picture as we wrestle with God concerning how much of our lives we're really going to surrender to Him. We're going to give Him our all. And at some point during this night of wrestling, Jacob realized that this was not a mere man he was wrestling. Jacob was a powerful guy. He was a strong guy. But he could not prevail against this. And his hip is touched and he's in pain and agony. And he moves from wrestling to our second word. Remember I told you the three words. And the second word is clinging. Clinging. Genesis 32 verse 26. And he said, that is the one wrestling with Jacob. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But here's what Jacob said. I will not let you go unless you bless me. The one wrestling with Jacob says, let me go, the day breaks. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jot down this reference, beloved. It tells us more about this night. Jot down Hosea 12. 3 and 4. I'm going to read it for you. Hosea 12, 3 and 4. Hosea 12, 3 and 4 says this. Talking about Jacob. He took his brother by the heel in the womb and in his strength he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. Listen. He wept and sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spoke to us. It says there, as he's struggling with this angelic being or the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus, it says that he wept and sought favor for him. So as I understand that, he's clinging now to this one. 
And He's crying out and He's weeping. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And it appears that Jacob goes from resisting God and struggling with God to clinging to God and crying out for blessing. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, I want you to notice what the Lord says in response in verse 27. After Jacob is crying for a blessing, here's what the Lord says in verse 27. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Now, I hope you know that God never asks questions in order to get information. I hope you know that. God knows everything. He didn't have to ask any questions. He is all-knowing. And so there must be another purpose behind this question. What is your name? It's kind of like when He came to the garden after Adam and Eve had sinned and bitten that forbidden fruit. And they're all hiding. And He comes and He does what? He says, Adam, where art thou? He knew where they were. He's God. But He's bringing them to themselves. And here we have Him say, what is your name? And He said, Jacob. What he's doing here is requiring Jacob to come to an end of himself by requiring confession. By making Jacob admit who he really was. You remember back in that day that names were very significant. Standing off different people's character. And when he says, I am Jacob, in other words, his name had matched his character. He says, I'm Jacob. I'm the heel catcher. I'm the supplanter. I'm the schemer. I'm the deceiver. I'm the con man. I'm Jacob. Wearsby said, what is your name meant? Are you going to continue living up to your name? Deceiving yourself and others? Or will you admit that you that will you admit what you are and let me change you? What is your name, Jacob? Supplanter, deceiver, hill catcher, con man, schemer. I'm Jacob. And the interesting thing, beloved, is this Jacob lost the wrestling match, if you will, made his hip went out. So I guess we could say he lost, but really he won. He lost, but he won. I love what Adrian Rogers said. He said, God crippled him that he might crown him. God broke him that he might bless him. And he goes from a name of shame to God's hall of fame. He becomes the prince with God, Israel, because he came to the end of himself finally. And what a thought, beloved. He goes from Jacob to Israel. He goes from a name of shame to God's Hall of Fame. Go read about Him in the Hall of Fame in the Bible. This brings us to our third word. You've got the first one. You've got the second one, I hope. Wrestling, clinging, and now blessing. Look at verses 28 through 32. And He said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. 
Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Now notice here, beloved, that God gives a new name, Israel. And I remember as a boy growing up in Sunday school and, and studying through the Bible stories, I remember being taught that Israel meant a prince with God. That's what Israel meant, a prince with God. But as I begin to study more this past week and prepare for our time together, I find that some scholars, they don't think that's quite correct. Some believe it is a prince with God, but there's much disagreement. Some believe it means God fights. Some believe it means God rules. Others believe it means God's warrior. Uh, some believe it's one who strives with God. One even said it means a God-mastered man. We're not exactly sure, but here's what we are sure of, that God gave him a new name, Israel. A prince with God or one of those other things. God gave him a new name. And as the scholars tell us, a new name in the Bible means a new beginning, a fresh beginning. And this was Jacob's opportunity for a fresh start in life. No longer self-willed, scheming, heel catcher, deceiver, con man Jacob, but now Israel. A prince with God. A God-mastered man. One who strove with God. God's warrior. God's rule. God's fight. And it's interesting, in addition to him getting a new name, Jacob gives a new name to the place, Peniel. And that means the face of God. The face of God. I don't have time to develop this theme, but you might want to jot this down as you study throughout the Scripture. The face of God is a symbol of the friendship, favor, and fellowship with God. It's a symbol of friendship, favor, and fellowship with God. And so God blessed him in a powerful way. He gave him a new name. This place was given a new name by Jacob. A place where it's the face of God. I've, I've met God face to face. But the interesting thing is Jacob got a new name, but he also got a new walk. Did you notice verse 31? Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. He walked with a limp. He didn't have the limp before he got to this place, but when he left this place, he had a limp. And it appears that he had this limp for the rest of his life. In fact, when you go to the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, verse 21, here's what you'll read in Hebrews 11:21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, so you fast forward to the end of his life, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, listen, and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. Probably not just leaning because he's old, but leaning because God had touched his hip and he limped throughout his life. Now here's the interesting thing, beloved. He was limping at this point, but he was more powerful than ever before. He was limping, but more powerful than ever before. You say, well, preacher, how can that be? I mean, physically, he was a strong man. I mean, he was able to wrestle all night, and you look back through his life, and he's so powerful. And now he's limping along probably the rest of his life. How is he more powerful? Well, because of what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul writing later would say, Therefore, most gladly, 
I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. Do you remember how that next verse ends? It ends this way. For when I am weak, what? Then I am strong. When I come to an end of myself and my self-will and my self-sufficiency and my self-reliance and my self-righteousness and self-everything, and I surrender, I'm more powerful than ever. Why? Because when we're weak, we're strong because we now have Christ's strength. When we're brought to the end of ourselves, when we're truly broken, when we see how truly weak we are, and we stop depending on our strength and start depending on His strength, then we're strong. You see, Jacob was changed physically that night, but more importantly, he was changed spiritually. That night of wrestling brought a new level of spiritual maturity. But again, this is a very... Odd passage, isn't it? God wrestling with a man throughout the night. I love what John Calvin wrote. He said, God fights against us with his left hand and for us with his right hand. Think about that for a moment. He fights against us with his left hand and for us with His right hand. God loves us so much that He will wrestle with us to get us to submit. And when we finally do, He lifts us up and gives us His strength. Beloved, we have to understand something here. God doesn't break us to harm us. He breaks us to bless us. And what happens that night so long ago here as He's wrestling with the Lord is done out of a heart of love. God so loved Jacob. He was not going to leave him to himself. He wanted that self broken that he might bless him. Which brings us to this question. What about us? Let me ask you, friend. Are you struggling with the Lord at the moment? Or are you surrendered to Him? Are you resisting His working in your life? Or are you resting on Him? Are you so filled with self and you're still filled with self? What's it going to take for God to get your attention? Because God loves you. Child of God, if you're a child of God today, God loves you. And God will fight against you with His left hand and for you with His right hand because He loves you and He wants you broken not to hurt you. Not to harm you. But to bless you. Because He loves you. Remember what I said earlier? God's love is so persistent that He will even cripple a man to get to His heart. What about you? Where are you at in this? Are you wrestling with God or are you surrendered to God? Are you broken before God? Is self reigning in your heart or is the Savior? The preacher Andrew Bonar once told about uh, in the highlands of Scotland, the sheep there would uh, sometimes wander off the rocky crags and they would get trapped on dangerous ledges. It seems that they were attracted. They would look over and they'd be attracted by the sweet grass. See, there's one there 
looking over and seeing that sweet grass, and they would leap down 10 to 12 feet to get it. But you know, the problem, of course, is once they leaped down 10 to 12 feet, they could not get back up. Now, here's the interesting thing. A shepherd would allow that animal to stay down on that ledge for days until that sheep would get so weak it could not even stand up. And when the sheep got to that point, the shepherd would finally tie a rope around his waist, go over the edge to the rocky shelf and rescue that sheep that had strayed. Now, as you're thinking, as I thought as well, someone once asked Bonar, why doesn't the shepherd go down right away and rescue that sheep? I mean, why let the sheep down on that ledge for days let it get so hungry and weak that it's just laying there helpless. And here's what he replied. He said, sheep are so foolish that they would dash right over the precipice and be killed if the herdsmen didn't wait until their strength was almost gone. Hmm. You find it interesting as I do what the Lord likens us to in His Word. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've wandered everyone his own way. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I wonder, beloved, is the great shepherd letting you get weaker and weaker and weaker until you finally lay down at the end of yourself? And He's doing that not because He doesn't love you, but because He does love you. And He wants you to get to the end of yourself because He wants to come and rescue you. Beloved, can I just say to you, as I've studied this passage, as I've looked at this passage, let us yield at once to the Lord. Let's admit who we really are. Let's admit our self-sufficiency, our self-reliance, our self-righteousness, our self-everything. Let's come clean before the Lord and be broken so that He can bless us with His friendship and His favor and His fellowship. We need, beloved, to learn to limp. We need to learn to limp. To quit depending on the flesh. To quit depending upon self and depend totally upon our Savior. Let's leave behind Jacob and be like Israel, a prince with God a God-mastered person. And let's limp on to glory. Limping on to glory. Let's pray. Father, this passage before us very difficult one, Lord. But we see the lesson here as you conquered Jacob's self. And in doing so, you blessed him. Father, I pray if anyone here today does not know you, that they would come to you as Savior and Lord. And then, Lord, as the majority of our time has been addressing those of us who do know you, I pray your Holy Spirit right now to search your hearts in these quiet moments and help us to honestly answer that question today. Who is it reigning from the throne of our heart? 
Is it self or is it the Savior? And I pray today that you would bring us to an end of ourselves. The Lord, it won't take a wrestling match online. It won't take these drastic measures. But we would, today as you deal with us, Lord, surrender and wave the right white flag and allow Christ to sit upon the seat of our hearts and rule our lives. And Lord, for those that are struggling even now, I pray that the struggle would end, that they would come clean before you and surrender. Thank you, Lord, for your great love, that you don't leave us to ourselves, to depend upon ourselves. The arm of flesh will fail us. But you love us so much, you go to drastic measures, fighting against us with one hand while fighting for us with the other. So, Lord, I don't know what it is that you're doing in the hearts and lives of your people right now, but I pray that they would surrender and that your will would be accomplished in this place. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Our closing hymn is 275. Salvation is the starting point. If you need to be saved, we'd love to help you with that today. Just let us know. But the majority of the message was for believers. Maybe today is the day you need to come and kneel. Come to an end of yourself and allow Christ to rule and reign in your heart. 275, as we stand together, the altar is open. You come as we begin to sing, I surrender all.